Before we go into the scripture reading, let me introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, his name is Peter Williams. He's right here. He is uh, currently living in D.C. with his uh, wife and his daughter, Brooke, and they're expecting, his wife's name is Tammy, his daughter's name is Brooke. He's back, he's, they're expecting number two this September. Um, Peter was a crown prosecutor prior to joining IJM. Uh, and since 2010, he has been serving on the front line, and under his leadership, the Bangalore team rescued more than 1,200 people from bonded slavery. And so we, we are really privileged as a church, you know, to be able to have uh, someone like Peter come and share with us as we've been walking through the series called Do Justice. Um, you know, I just hung out with Peter right before the service and just getting to know him, just hearing his story and how God and how God has called him and his wife to, his wife also serves in this area to really um, fight for God's justice, fight against injustice just been tremendously blessed. My, my hope is, as we continue to journey through this justice series, uh, I, 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 my hope is, as Peter comes, we are tremendously encouraged and challenged as church. Amen? All right. Let me read the scripture before Peter comes up. Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 15 and 16. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Here's Peter. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you very much. Pastor Sangman, um, for your warm welcome. Pastor John, um, thank you, church, for your welcome. It's my first time in Korea, and it's, so it's a delight to be here with you today um, and to share a little bit about my journey um, with IJM. So I'm just very pleased to be here, and it's an honor. Um, let, me, let me pray for us as, as we begin. Loving Father, we do desire in our hearts to know you more as we sang. And so, Lord, would this moment just be an opportunity for us to have perhaps our hearts and minds open to new possibilities of, of who you are in the world and what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that you are here among us this afternoon, that you live and move and have your being in and through us. And I pray these meditations of my heart, these words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, those of you that saw the Instagram posts earlier from the church, um, and I think that was a photo taken in about 2016, so you're probably disappointed. I've aged fairly badly in the last six years, but, but, I, but I am just very, very pleased to be here because I want to share something that may not have struck you as you've gone on this journey of justice, as you perhaps learned about IJM. And it's that something that our, our founder and CEO, Gary Haugen, told us leaders and often reminds us that actually the most important thing about being at IJM is that we're a community of believers in Christ growing closer to God together. And the work of justice provides us the context within which we can do that. 
And so it's truly a joy to me when I get to connect with believers around the world who are part of our IJM community as we grow closer to God together in the context of this work of justice that you've been discussing for the last three weeks. And I think that's the unexpected blessing. You know, I engaged in this work, as Pastor said, from being a lawyer, and I wanted to seek justice for the oppressed and the voiceless in the world. That was my driver and my motivation. And you may have engaged initially as a church because IJM's work to protect the poor from violence is compelling and the needs of the poor are great and these are good and powerful motivations and the right motivations. But the unexpected joy, I think, is that doing justice can lead to a closer and deeper relationship with God. Now, we shouldn't be too surprised to find this happening because It's here in in Jeremiah 22 that we've just heard, where Jeremiah is speaking to the king of Judah. And I'll read the passage again. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Do you want to know God more? If you do, it's a holy and God-given desire. And these words invite us on what might be a new adventure in knowing him. So first, a little bit of context for our passage. The father of the king here is actually King Josiah. And he acted justly and defended the poor and the needy. And the Lord says, this is what it means to know me. But as a brief aside... It says in this passage, all went well several times with King Josiah. And this is this just king who defended the marginalized. But don't for a moment think that his reign was a walk in the park. Everything went swimmingly. In fact, he had to upend a statewide practice for idolatry. And he led a total religious reform and a renewal of obedience to the law of Moses So from a very young age, he was actually overturning the systemic structures and practices of his entire country. And we can imagine that he met plenty of opposition in doing that. But God says all went well with him. All went well between Josiah and God. Second Chronicles says that his heart was responsive to God, that he humbled himself before God. And God promised actually to bring him to peace in the end. But even still, he was killed at the end of his life. He was killed in battle with Egypt. So his life was not without struggle and strife, and nor is the work of justice today. But there is this great promise, all will be well. As the hymn says, it is well with my soul, because the God of grace is always with us. And in fact, he is especially close in my experience when things on the surface are not going well. But this verse at the end of the passage should captivate us. If we've given our lives to God, then really our deepest longing is surely to know him more. This is the one who saved us from sin and death and has given us new life. This is God who is the creator, who is full of mercy and love. Yes, we want to know him. And here is the statement, this mystery that the action of justice is the knowledge of God in practice. As a college student used to say when I was back a student in my early 20s, 
This is Jesus in trousers. This is faith in action. So is it possible that if we engage faithfully in defending the vulnerable, that we might find God there waiting for us? That we might come to know him in new and profound ways? Now, of course, a personal relationship with God encompasses much more than the work of justice. It's much wider and broader and deeper than that. But these words, is that not what it means to know me, suggest that knowledge of God and defending the oppressed actually go hand in hand. And so by way of simple encouragement to you this afternoon, I want to share with you three ways in which I've known and experienced God in the work that I've had the privilege of being a part of. First, the first way is that it's actually God's work, the work of justice. And so if you want to get to know someone, go to work with them. That's the first thing. The second is that we encounter God's image, perhaps in unexpected ways, in this work. And thirdly, we glimpse God's kingdom. We find signposts pointing us to the ultimate right ordering of things under Jesus, the now and not yet hope that we all share, for the kingdom of God is established in justice. So actually, instead of making me jaded and cynical, Spending 13 years fighting evils like slavery in the world has actually enriched and deepened my relationship with God. And as you encounter this, this, this evil and as you grapple with it as a church, it's my prayer and hope and desire that the same would be said for you. So first, to do justice is actually to join in God's work. One of the most encouraging things to remember is that IJM is not pioneering the work of justice among believers. By God's grace, he's inviting us into what he's been doing since the very beginning. God brought about justice through the prophets of the Old Testament, from Moses to Isaiah to Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, the list goes on, challenging unjust rulers and systems, speaking truth to power. And I know you've, you've considered some of these characters in the last few weeks. And God's work of justice in the Bible culminates in the person of Jesus himself, who began his ministry, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, proclaiming freedom for captives and the good news preached to the poor. And Jesus demonstrates his friendship to the outcast, the unclean, the sinners, and the people on the margins. And like God's prophets before him, Jesus brought to light the abuse of power and injustice perpetrated by the leaders of Israel. Woe to you, he says to them in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So followers of Jesus then, from then on, have been carrying on this work of God. John Newton, the former slave ship captain, turned pastor and author of Amazing Grace, that hymn we all know, and mentor to William Wilberforce, who ended the, the, who led the abolition of slavery in the UK. To Bonhoeffer, who, Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed Nazi Germany. Martin Luther King, who led the civil rights movement in the US. Desmond Tutu, who led the reconciliation and truth movement in Africa. The list goes on. And, and as I encounter more and more people in the counter-slavery space, people addressing modern forms of slavery out there in the world today, I'm delighted to report that Christians are overrepresented 
among those people, followers of Christ in this work. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God's justice in his people manifesting itself in the work of justice in the world. Because ultimately, this work is his. It's so important to remind ourselves that the work is his and the weight of the outcome is his. It doesn't rest on our shoulders. We're called in to, to, to join him in this work, and it's his grace that invites us into this space. But ultimately, God is sovereign, and he is the Lord, and he will bring justice, and it's on his shoulders, not on ours, because ultimately, that would crush us. And ultimately, if we don't give God the weight, we're not going to give him the glory either when we see justice being done. So it's his work. The work of justice, I think, is a core part of what God is up to at any point in time in the world. And so if you are wondering what to do in ministry as a church or as individuals, and it may be some among us here just wondering how to apply my gifts and talents for the glory of God's kingdom. Well, the words of U2's Bono are a good guide. He said, stop asking God to bless what you are doing. Find out what God is doing, because it's already blessed. God is at work all the time to bring justice to the oppressed, most often, I think, in ways that we just do not see. But sometimes it is more obvious than others. And working with IJM has brought me face to face with Jesus, who's active and alive in the world, actually working miracles of justice every day. So, as Pastor mentioned, I was in India for about six years leading teams to address bonded slavery. And we would conduct rescue operations of people in bonded labor along with the government. Now, to conduct a, a rescue operation like this where some, some group of families has been held and kept in a place for years and years, repaying minuscule debts, not allowed to leave, under severe control, to actually bring the government along and, and bring them out safely, you rely on the element of surprise. And so you actually need to be, to be turning up, and you don't want the owner of that place who's been oppressing those people to have, really have any warning that you're coming so that he can prepare a group of his friends to meet you, create some kind of mob, or actually then hide the laborers and put them in, in, a, in a place out of sight. So you don't want that person to have any warning. There was this one case very, very early on, I think it was in 2011, in my time in leadership with IJM, where we were, were targeting a large group of people who had been held in this rock quarry, big granite quarry, and unfortunately it was at the head of a valley, and the road to it was visible for miles. And so we were going to be coming with all these SUVs, police, our own vehicles, and there was no way that we were going to be able to get to that quarry without the owner having at least 10, 15 minutes notice. He'd be able to see us coming. And so young leader, I had no idea what to do with this, how to keep our team safe, how to keep the people in the quarry safe. And we were praying and praying and praying. And the morning came of the rescue, and we still had no solution. But our team in the field call, and I remember receiving this call saying, the laborers have been told to go to the village and take the day off. And so lo and behold, they were presented to us in a safe location away from the quarry where we could go in. And I think there's a slide that shows the photo. 
and actually rescue them from a very much safer place. And here's the thing. These workers had been confined and trapped in that quarry for months, if not years. They'd never been given a day off, let alone allowed to leave the quarry. And it so happened on the one day we needed them to be out of the quarry, they were. So our prayers were answered. God had moved and God was at work. I remember another story um, from a night now many years ago um, where I was waiting to hear news of a rescue happening in a red light district of a massive city in South Asia, and I think there's a photo of that. My dear friend Sanjay was leading his team to rescue a group of girls from a nightclub where they'd been subject to sexual exploitation and abuse over months and years. Now Sanjay's reports came through on WhatsApp, and they were increasingly desperate because the rescue team had arrived to find the nightclub empty. So there had actually been a tip-off and the girls had been moved. And I just remember as I prayed, I just had in my mind a clear picture of, of Jesus walking beside Sanjay on the streets of his city. And I sent him a quick message. I said, Sanjay, take heart. Jesus walks with you tonight. It must have been true. Because within an hour, the girls had been found and tracked down and rescued. You know, it was, it was hard to find the miracles in the time that I spent in Cambodia. But I remember the very first labor trafficking investigation I was a part of, and the next photo shows, there was really actually nothing more than a training exercise and our team was learning actually how to interview trafficking survivors. It was a, they were new to this work. But in these training interviews, a common thread emerged from these men who'd been trafficked over a decade, different, different experiences all over, the, all over the region. But these common names started being pulled out of these interviews just from our trainee staff. And they eventually led us to uncover one of the longest-running and most prolific trafficking net networks in northern Cambodia. And, and so you can just keep moving through the, the slides if you've, got this, if you've got the notes there. So this, was, this is not... We, we didn't achieve this dismantling of this criminal network because we were really clever. It was because God wanted to dismantle this network that he led us to these people. So if you've been following along with the work of IJM at all, you, you probably heard many similar stories before. And I can tell you that having led IJM field officers for close to nine years, they, they happen all the time. It's just such a delight to see God's love for the oppressed and the downtrodden expressed in these real miracles of justice. So we meet God when he invites us into the work that he's already doing. How does this apply to us here this, this afternoon? Well, working with someone is one of the best ways to get to know them. And as you engage in the work of justice, whether that's through prayer, whether it's through just learning more about these issues, whether it's through engaging in other ways in this church, it's just God asking you to be his workmates. And just allow that experience to reveal new parts of who God is to you. And perhaps even in the last four weeks, 
you've had that experience already. So the second way that we know God in this work is by encountering his image. I have a a late friend who's passed on, is with Jesus now. His name is Cain Christie. And he once said that bringing slave owners to justice and abolishing the practice entirely from the face of the earth matters to God because every single one of the world's 50 million slaves are precious people made in the image of God. That is why it says in Proverbs 14.31 that whoever oppresses the poor and shows, they show contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Why? Because the poor and the needy are image bearers of God, just like you and I. And God identifies with the vulnerable in a special way. I think Jesus actually takes injustice much more personally than we know. He does not over-spiritualize the suffering of injustice. He himself endured it. He knows that the whip is real, is real. The fist hurts, that torture kills, and that injustice can so brutalize our spirit that we feel forsaken by our Heavenly Father. And so in some wonderful and mysterious way, Jesus has identified with victims and their suffering, saying that when you minister to the least of these, you do it to me. Cain tells of the first rescue they did of boys enslaved in Ghana who were aged 9, 10, and 11. They were forced to fish on Lake Volta at the hands of violent and merciless men. And Cain recalls the joy of finding the boys out on the lake, arriving with the police and taking them from their captors. One of the rescued boys was an 8-year-old named Isaac. And Cain described a moment with Isaac that took place right after the rescue. Now I'll read what he said. I'd taken a seat on the shady side of the boat to contemplate the rescue that had just happened. I was seated right under the window of a room on the boat where all the boys were being cared for. I felt a tap on my head and a hand reached out from the window, and that hand reached to grab mine. When I grabbed the hand, it was leathery and hard and wrinkled from a young life of pulling heavy nets out of the water. And then it occurred to me that in a tangible sense, I was holding the hand of the Ancient of Days, who has so identified himself with Isaac and the 10,000 other boys in slavery on the lake that he says, when you rescue them, the least of least, you rescue me. Here's another picture. It's an image that always always draws me closer to God, to the heart of the work. These two, the grandfather and his granddaughter, had, had lived lives of bondage and terror. This is them about two years after that experience had finished at a graduation ceremony for, um, for our, our aftercare program. For me, it's an image of absolute stunning beauty because it's a picture of lives changed by God. It's an image of God's power to heal and restore. A picture of peace, of love, of unworried freedom. And it reminds me of the God we worship because he is all of those things.
This is the miracle and the mystery of our faith. Our God is not found first in palaces or temples or places of power and wealth, nor is he found in just abstract ideals or philosophies. If you want to know God, look for him among the most vulnerable, the smallest, the forgotten, the poor, the oppressed. Because our Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he came down and made himself a vulnerable little child and took the suffering of the world on himself. So we encounter God's image in the work of justice. And finally, in the work of justice, we come to know God's kingdom. Justice is central to God's kingdom. Twice the Psalms say that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So many prophecies of the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom actually center on justice. There's a few up here on the slide from Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Psalm 45, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Isaiah 16, in love a throne will be established. In faithfulness a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I long for the coming of that kingdom. That's the prayer we open the service with. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is here, but not fully here. It's here in us, but it has not yet filled the world. May your kingdom come, Lord. And until the kingdom comes in its fullness, the church is at its best when it's a signpost to the kingdom. You know, a a good signpost does two things. It points the way to what is coming up, and it gives a little glimpse of what it is. You see in the States all the time signposts for McDonald's. McDonald's, two kilometers, the golden arches, and then there might be a a Big Mac. Gives you an indication of what it is. Whether that delights or disgusts you, that's your own preference. Um, But we can actually look back on 25 years of rescuing children from the sex industries of Cambodia and the Philippines and Mumbai and Kolkata and see that now the police actually take ownership of those rescues and arrest those abusers when we see the courts actually treating survivors with care and dignity and holding offenders accountable, when we see there are actually no more children being sold for sex in these places because of the prayer and support of friends like you, it's a sign that the kingdom is coming when the vulnerable poor will not be enslaved or their bodies and minds destroyed anymore. A kingdom where the king is just and makes all things new. When you see brick kiln owners and rock quarry owners in South Asia who for decades have enslaved the poor for profit with impunity, when you see them begin to be arrested and jailed for the crime of human trafficking, it's a sign that such evil has no place in God's kingdom and there is a day coming when it will be wiped from the face of the earth. And when you walk with a young man called Kumar, who it was my privilege to know as a friend over five years in India, a young man who was bonded in a brick kiln from the age of five 
but who has now received his master's degree in social work and works to serve survivors of bonded labor with IJM's team in South Asia and actually was appointed just last year to the Global Survivor Network's Leadership Council. He leads the Global Network of Survivors. It points to a kingdom where all the brokenness will be healed and restored and made whole. There is a kingdom coming that is worth taking a stand for, that is worthy of any sacrifice, that calls us to get up time and time again through many tribulations and struggles and get back to work and to its service. There is a king who, until he makes all things new, identifies himself with the brokenness and the hurt and the indignity and the humiliation of the oppressed and says that when you rescue them, you rescue me. Who says, to defend the cause of the poor and needy, is that not what it means to know me? In our 25 years of existence, we've marveled at how God has moved believers all around the world to lead in the fight to end slavery. And we call that army who sustains the work our freedom partners. So many of you are part of that army. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for faithfully praying for this work, for advocating for our clients, and for actually investing in the freedom and restoration of the enslaved and the abused. You know, it continues to frustrate us to see traffickers use all their power, their influence, their resources, and their networks to exploit, abuse, and enslave the poor. It's still the reality in the world. But it feels like being in the kingdom of God together, when we, the church, can use our power, our influence, our resources, our networks, and our energy to end slavery. The great blessing is that we get to experience the work of justice drawing us closer to God together. It enables us to know him more deeply in the inward and outward expression of our lives and to expand and mature our own God-given desire for justice so that it becomes more and more conformed to God's own heart. And as I've experienced, as each year passes, God reveals a little more of himself to us. And during my time in Cambodia, we found this passage in Zephaniah, pulled it off the dusty shelf of the part of the Old Testament you hardly ever look at. Certainly that was for me. But it was like God's letter, this love letter that he wrote to those in slavery who were still waiting for rescue. And at the same time, it felt like this commissioning to us in our work. And so at the culmination of your four weeks in this series, I want to read this to you as I close as a commissioning, as a love letter from God for those that are still seeking our help. I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. Never again will you fear any harm. I'll take great delight in you. I'll quiet you with my love. I will rejoice over you with singing. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is our God. And so may you, church, continue to be blessed as you grow in him in this great 
work of justice that joins us together. Let me pray for, for us as I close. Thank you, Lord. We're just utterly humbled by your righteousness, by your awesome power, by the fact that you invite us into these transformative works in the world and that by even taking tiny little steps of faith, you transform us in turn. And so I pray, Lord, for this church that you would bless their efforts and their time You'd lead and guide them into all kinds of different ministries in their communities and in their lives. And that as they take those small steps of faith, that they would come to know you more. It's our heart's desire, Lord. We want to know you. In Jesus' name.